1: The book title is Good Intentions, Bad Consequences, Voters' Information Problems is the subtitle, and joining me is author Philip Nelson. Welcome, sir, to the program.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Well, you have uh, written a book of about 172 pages and obviously have focused on something that's a a key ingredient in our current society and our current uh, conversations, I guess, through news and otherwise having to do with uh, the voting process and, and how people perceive it. What is your background? How did you want to focus, or why is it you wanted to focus on this particular aspect of uh, society?
2: Well, uh, there is an area in economics called public choice, uh, where uh, the political process is examined uh, through the eyes of an economist. And, uh, my mentor, a, uh, Nobel laureate, uh, George Stigler, uh, got involved in these kinds of questions. And, uh, so he... <laughs> Influence me to get involved though my answers are quite different from his
1: I see well I guess from that comment then uh, choose your friends wisely would that be the the uh, learning I'm sorry, what? choose your friends wisely then that would be the uh, the outcropping of that that conversation you had with uh, yeah. with him.
2: Okay, yes, yes, yes. He was very, very helpful.
1: Well, this, uh, you know, you have uh, many uh, obvious things, at least to me as an observer, and I, I know that the voting population in general is very ill-informed. Uh, there is a, a great gap of knowledge. Uh, mostly emotion seems to run our election process in the United States. Is that sort of the underlying uh, message that you have, uh, have garnered from your research?
2: Well, uh, yes, but uh, what happens is most of the research about uh, voter lack of information has not focused on really the most important lack that they possess, uh, which is knowledge of the consequences of the policies that they advocate.
1: Well, Uh, consequences are a big deal, absolutely. And and,
2: and that really is what uh, this book is about.
1: Your second chapter deals with self-interest, which I think every voter in the universe probably has a a measure of that, maybe even too much of it. Uh, How important is that aspect in the election process? Does it control where we go as a future in politics in the United States?
2: Well, it is a very important component of uh, some people's uh, voting. And, well, everybody's voting to some extent. Uh, but the really interesting thing is that it's not a full controller. Uh, there are people who are focused on, uh, what they think, uh, is good for the society. And, uh, it is those people, uh, whose behavior I find, uh, most interesting.
1: Yes, I, I would agree with that. There is also uh, an aspect that I have observed and uh, am sort of frustrated by. By the way, for di- full disclosure, I am a Canadian living in the United States, so uh, it um, you know I, I'm I'm legal, but uh, it's still it's still a frustrating thing that I can't vote. I can certainly uh, vocalize uh, my opinions. There is a an aspect of uh, politics and communication where one particular group of people who I will call them a party has uh, basically captivated or or stolen the history of the other and made it their own that to me is very frustrating people are so ill informed about the facts of history how important is history and how do you how do you bridge that gap with uh, with the uninformed voter
2: well some of it is very important uh but some of it is, is not really uh, that crucial. Uh, much of what one learns in a civics class, uh, for example, is not really going to be very decisive uh, in reasonably determining uh, your vote. Uh, the Again, uh, and, and you get a, a quite false impression of where this uh, – lack of information falls among voters. Again, uh, the people who probably know most about civics, college professors, uh, are, for the most part, uh, most ignorant about the consequences of the policies that they advocate. Mm. And so there is that very, very strange uh, kind of... uh, Conflict uh, between I mean what people regard as knowledgeable voters and what important knowledge how important knowledge is distributed uh, the one of the problems uh, for people for college professors uh, who whose behavior I find my own experiences uh, uh, from uh, studying uh, the issues uh, is uh, most confusing is that they want to do good and uh, the sorts of things uh, that they, that they desire are sort of shared uh, by the community as a whole, that uh, what they favor for public policy, is very closely related uh, to what charities uh, contribute. Um. I mean, uh, helping the poor and uh, trying to have a good environment, as they define good environment, is closely related to these uh, charitable goals, indicating uh, the sort of universal uh, nature of uh, these constituents of what is good. Uh, the problem is that there are no constraints uh, on college professors about uh, what they what they advocate. They advocate that this goodness uh, should be done through government, mm. uh, which doesn't cost them anything. So right. that or it costs them so little since it's other people who would be paying uh, for uh, what they advocate. In contrast, uh, charity costs the people who give charity uh, substantial, and so there are constraints on what they particularly advocate. And these constraints are what are really kind of crucial, uh, because they are largely... uh, Constraints inferred in terms of consequences are uh, usually ignored uh, by uh, college professors uh, because of something called confirmation bias. Hmm. Uh, they are interested in things uh, that uh, come out the same side as their policy goals and want to ignore everything which would question. Uh, those goals mm. so a very important side effects of all the kinds of policies that they advocate uh, are say the costs uh, of doing the things that they want uh, and uh, these costs can be uh, substantial and they're ignoring those costs uh, produces uh, so them advocating so, sort of more of the policy there are no constraints on how much policy uh, they want uh, in in those regards, and uh, that's I think uh, the kind of serious uh, information problem uh, that confronts uh, our society.
1: Yes, there, there are there are several uh, people who have been elected to office and who have run for office in the United States that uh, have a particular viewpoint that you know, on the surface looks, wow, wouldn't that be great? It's a utopian world where no one pays for anything, uh, the funds are created out of thin air, and uh, the consequences of actions are are ignored. You have addressed that in your book. Who do you think uh, will benefit the most? Who's going to be gravitating towards your message, do you think?
2: Well, uh, my message is largely a conservative message. Uh, Now, the things that there are problems uh, with the system uh, prior to any kind of government intervention, and some things have to be done about them, and they are things that people generally uh, want. The question is how much of it you want. Uh, Now, again, the fact that charity has these very serious constraints in terms of how much people are going to give that it costs them something uh, means in the large part uh, that the, chari- the charity is a good idea that mm. it's uh, but without constraints right. uh, you can get uh, situations uh, where you get too much of of what. Uh, is being advocated so uh, I don't know whether this answers your question I, th- or not. I think
1: it does now one thing I notice you live in the state of New York if, if I am understanding where you are living that particular state is, um, is rich with uh, taxes and, and other benefits to those who live there is that something that has impacted you or you're seeing is impacting the uh, folks around you
2: Well, conveniently, uh, I was a government employee, and enormous numbers of benefits go to uh, government employee retirees (laughs) in New York State, so I haven't felt uh, the full impact of uh, the high rate of taxation Hmm. uh, in New York State. but uh, in, I'm sort of not writing this book uh, in terms of my own self-interest. though <laughs> no, I'm writing it because it was fun, and in that sense it is my self-interest. Uh, but uh, I am engaged in the same kind of activity that most professors are engaged in, mm. that is trying to figure out what would be good policy from the point of view of the community as a whole. Right. Uh, well,
1: so, Well, beautifully put. You, you have, uh, again, in 176 or so pages, how long did it take you, Philip, to, to write this book and get it ready for print?
2: Well, it took an enormous time. Uh, I did start, I have published uh, a, another book roughly on the same topic, And I've been—I wasn't really quite satisfied uh, with uh, much that I did in that book, and so this was an attempt to improve it. But uh, it—it took about ten years, I guess, uh, to to write and mainly rewrite it. Uh, Thank goodness for word processors (laughs) (laughs) compared to typing. I would have had to uh, have about fifty. revisions uh, in the process.
1: Well, the writing process is complex in, in its uh, simplified form, and you've uh, tackled a very complex subject. Is this a book that um, is going to be difficult to read, or do you think just about anyone no, that no, has an it, open mind?
2: Well, yes and no. I mean, it's not dominantly anecdotal, uh, which is the sort of easiest form uh, in terms of reading a thing i I focus on certain kinds of propositions, uh, say about college teachers' behavior, and I present evidence uh, associated with the, the propositions uh, that I uh, come up with, but it is not uh, mathematical; there's a little math. In the book, but they're in a pe- it's in appendices. Right. Uh, but I think it's rigorous. Uh, at least I tried to make it rigorous, uh, so that I think it can make uh, some sense for academics uh, in these areas to read the book. But it's accessible uh, to anybody uh, with a college education and hopefully some economics background. But it's not it's basically as non-technical as a book that I regard as rigorous can be. So it is available, uh, it's accessible uh, to anybody who is seriously interested in these questions. But I think you have to be really interested in the questions uh, to uh, go through looking at evidence uh, with respect to the various uh, propositions that I propose.
1: Well, it's a complicated subject, but you've done a a masterful job in breaking it down into simplified... Uh, a simplified approach, I guess, for anyone who, who wants to uh, delve into it. You talk about policy, democracy, examining liberal ideas. You talk about socialism. There's a, a lot of uh, of things that can be garnered from reading and studying your book. I call it a study book in some ways. You talk about self-interest, colleges, a- and all of the things that are maybe keeping us uh, focused on things that we, we, we need to, to look at. Again, the title of the book is Good Intentions, Bad Consequences, subtitled Voters' Information Problems. And my guest has been author Philip Nelson, who's joined me from the state of New York. Philip, where do we get copies of your book?
2: Well, they're accessible through Amazon, and they can be ordered uh, directly from my website, uh, which is Good Intentions, Bad Consequences, or uh, ordered through my publisher, Author House. Uh, I think those are probably the main uh, sources for getting the book. Uh, it's, it's not widely distributed through bookstores, I don't believe.
1: Well, they, they, can, uh, they can actually ask their local bookseller to order it in for them if they uh, order it by name or by the author's, uh, author's name. Again, the title is Good Intentions, Bad Consequences. And my author, Philip Nelson spelled just like it sounds. Philip, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Hope to hear from you again. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. For Author House and Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker.
0: You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Have you heard?
0: welcome back to author talk brought to you by
1: authorhouse
0: helping authors publish promote and sell their books around the
1: world greetings for author talk this is J Douglas Barker the book title is poems short stories and things remembered by author Gloria G Blakeney thank you for joining me today Gloria Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's uh, interesting from my side of the of the microphone to to get to, to meet authors and find out a little of their history. You were born in Georgia, but uh, this uh, this project became something that was uh, dear to you, of course, and and what motivated you? What, what inspired you to to put this into print?
4: A very dear friend of mine. I was a retired school teacher. She taught special children. And she was also one of my Sunday school teachers. And she was one of those people that had so many health issues. But she was kind of like the uh, bunny rabbit that kept on going. Oh, yes. Just kept on going. But anyway, when I started writing poetry, which was sort of, to me, sort of an accident, because I had never thought about, dreamed about writing poetry, but uh, I had retired from Kmart in 97, and uh, later on, my husband and I were watching TV, and a lot of people just sit around and doodle. Hmm. Well, I started writing down things about angels, and when I got through and separated everything, I had three poems about angels hmm. and it sort of seemed to start flowing. And, uh, so I wrote several, I have a, a granddaughter at the time with small and she always wanted a, she always wanted a pony. Right. And, uh, so I wrote her a little poem about a pony and I thought it was my pony, t- Tony, pony. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh,
1: and uh, I told her, I said, there's your pony. Wow. Did, now, do you write these poems or, or stories or, or creative thoughts during commercials when you're watching television? Or do you, have you actually decided, maybe I should set aside a time and, and concentrate on creative things?
4: Uh, no, I write down, I write what I feel led to write. I write when I feel led to write.
1: right. A lot of it
4: was done during the night.
1: Hmm. Well, I have trouble sleeping at night. Maybe I need to get a pencil and, and piece of paper nearby just in case something hits me that uh, that will inspire somebody. Uh, you have, uh, share, have have shared this obviously with family members and and uh, other close friends. What has been their their reaction to it? It must have been positive in order for you to write this book. Uh,
4: yes. I shared a lot of it with the ladies in my Sunday school class and some of my friends, and they all said, you know, you really need to get all this material together and put it in a book. And I said, okay, what am I supposed to do with it then? They said, well, (laughs) you know, there's lots of different avenues to go. But I took the quick route because my mother was – In the nursing home, she was not in good health, and the doctors had told her she had six months to live, so I did the crash course Mm -hmm. and got it self-published, and I managed to get the first copy in February, and I gave her a copy, so she got to see it before she passed away in April.
1: Wow, v- very uh, encouraging for for her to see uh, you're making an impact on your world and your friends. The uh, book itself—how long did it take to to assemble the 108 pages of uh, of material?
4: Uh, well, it, uh, probably a couple of years and uh, or
2: more.
1: Now, have, and, have you always been creative? Uh, have you always had a, um, I do don't know—an interesting observational uh, disposition when it came to society and things around you and activities that you were involved in?
4: Not really. Now, when I was growing up, I had a very dear cousin, but she was just—I guess—three or four years old. Decided she wanted to spend the night with us, hmm. and we lived out in the country. So did they. And, uh, when it came bedtime, she started crying. Mm. She wanted to go home, oh boy, so of course, go home. I made up stories, and I must have told that child stories all night now, I'm only about six <laughs> years older than she is, right but uh, she, but I said she finally went to sleep, but uh, it just sort of started rolling. I guess the only way I' know to tell you because it was not something that I deliberately planned. And, uh, of course, now when my kids were growing up, I told them stories. And uh my mother told me one time that when I was little that I read to my dolls. Uh. I would have a little book, and whether it be upside down or whatever, but I'd <laughs> line my dolls up and read to them. Mm. And she said, I wish I had had a way of writing down the
1: little stories you told, you told to your dolls.
4: Mm. I thought, well, you you must have, some of these things. I just don't remember.
1: You must have told some interesting stories, uh, or your cousin, or your 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 neighbor a child, uh, five years old, uh, would have gone to sleep a lot more quickly than what you've described. Uh, you have a creative uh, impulse or a creative uh, uh, personality in some areas that you didn't realize you had. When does when does the content of your book, you have stories and and uh, and also poetry, uh, when does it take place? Is this uh, all current stuff or, or current material or is this maybe looking back maybe to other events in your life? Well, some
4: of it is you know, when I was growing up. Some of it is you know, it was Published in 2011. So that's what, seven years ago? Yes. So none of it's really absolute present. But it's all, I guess you'd say, relevant to what's going on today. Right. So.
1: Now, one of your stories, you talk about a, a character or an individual named Alan. What is that story about, and why is that important in the content of your book?
4: Alan is my oldest son. Alan is truly his middle, his, his middle name. He grew up loving baseball. Uh, he watched baseball every time he could with his grandpa.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And he had an Uncle John that liked ball. And uh, Uncle John gave him a baseball glove when he was, I guess, two or three years old. Well, come to find out, he gave him a glove that would fit the left hand. Well, my son has to throw a ball with his left hand. Uh If he throws it with his right hand, you don't have a clue where it's going. (laughs) But he grew up playing ball and uh, different places. My, My husband was in the Navy and was moving around. We were in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and we had a next door neighbor that turned out to be from the same area. My husband was from, and come to find out, they their parents were good friends. And uh, Maurice turned out to be baseball coach for the team that Kyle Allen was on. Right. And you know, when all the kids try out for school for baseball, none of them can throw a ball from the pitcher's mound to the home plate so and my husband had told him he said you don't even mention what to pitch
5: mm-hmm.
4: so okay so anyway I uh, got through the game to the time for the series finalizing everything and uh, now talent could throw a strike from center field across home plate really but nobody seemed to notice that
5: hmm.
4: he could play any position on the field and uh, so anyway they got the i think it was the last game of the season and the little pitchers had pitched all they could do and was exhausted and Maurice was wondering what he could do and my husband told me and said well you've got another player that is a very good pitcher
5: mm-hmm.
4: and told him but well, he said but he not pitch first of the year he said so Ron told him, said trust me he's a good pitcher they mm-hmm. put him in as pitch hitter on the last inning of the game and it was three up and three down and it was like why didn't somebody tell me this <laughs> yeah you know, you would think that a man that was coaching a team would notice what each one of the players could do. Absolutely. But uh, since he had been told not to mention, I want to pitch, like he always did,
1: mm-hmm.
4: he played his position, played them well, and wound up saving, making the team the number one team that year in the, in the, uh, whatever.
1: In the series, it sounds like. Now, is, is is there one, uh, uh, maybe a poem or, or short story or something that you would share from your book that you think, uh, may give a good sprinkling of, of, uh, information or, or synopsis of, of how you write and, and how people will, will find your stories. Is there something that you want to uh, maybe share with my audience?
4: Okay. Uh. I've, actually, I've got a couple of things. Uh, first of all, is a poem that touches, I think it touches everybody that reads it. And now, this was written in thirty minutes, hmm. from one o'clock in the morning until one thirty in the morning. I wrote it as I was given it to write. The title of it is "Visit from an Angel." Last night, as I slept, an angel came to me, and a glowing robe of white so very bright he seemed to be, even as bright as day. He asked me while I slept, why for the world I wept. I answered him, with famine and war, and trouble caused by man, this world seems rotten to the core. The angel reminded me, as much as things seem so hard to bear, God still has us in his care. Remember, the angel said, even though there shall be wars and rumors of wars, of those who love and trust the Lord, a place in heaven there will be. Also, remember this, the angel said. You must teach the children well, for theirs the future will be. Teach them the ways of our Lord, so they will be with Him in one accord. As I awoke, there seemed to be a glow. Maybe there really had been an angel
2: from above.
1: Hmm. Very nice. Very nice. And you said you had a, another a short read that you wanted to share a, as well? Uh,
2: yes.
4: Let me turn a couple of pages here.
1: And from, I have some on it. Sure. And, and from what you've read, I, my inclination is that these are inspirational to you and uh, inspirational to the listener and to the reader.
2: Exactly.
1: And this is a short story?
4: Uh, yes, yeah, I can find it again. I'm going to read Henry the Jack Hmm. This is one that I had just finished reading, and my oldest son came with his two youngest sons. who were then just uh, uh, about five and three, and the title of it is Henry the Jackrabble. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: Late one night, Henry left his little home deep within a pile of limbs, brass, and all kinds of stuff that had been piled up in the edge of the woods. He didn't have far to go to the garden, just a few steps out of the woods. He lived in the woods on a sandy hill. The people who lived up the hill did not grow a big garden, but what the man had planted was very close to his home. His long ears went flippity flop as he went hippity hop across the short distance to the garden. He knew he had to be careful because the moon was so bright. He knew it was dangerous to go out, but he was oh so hungry. He was hoping to find something good to eat quickly. He hopped along until he found some tender greens. He started eating. Suddenly he heard a noise. Oh no, it was a dog. What should he do? Should he run? Hide? Oh, what should he do? He dropped the food that he had in his mouth. He held his breath and tried to sit as still as possible. Henry decided to try to hide under a big leaf. As small as he was, maybe that would work. He was so scared that he trembled. He was sure that dog had heard his little heartbeat. He wasn't sure he could outrun the dog, so he stayed where he was. Just as soon as Henry thought he would die from fright, the dog turned and went the other way. Henry hopped as fast as his little legs carry him. Hippity-hop, flippity-flopped back to his little home and went. He was safe at home one more time. Glad to be home. Henry settled in for the night.
1: Well, those uh, those that particular story sounds almost like a, a possible children's book. I don't know if you've thought of that, but uh, with good illustrations, that yeah. might be an interesting story for some a young reader.
4: Yeah. Now, to tell you the rest of the story on that, as soon as I finished reading that story to the boys, they demanded to go down to find the garden and find the okay. hut which Henry lived. My they goodness. wanted to take that pile
1: apart and find that rabbit. Oh, my. Well, that's, uh, uh, that, that's another story, isn't it? Yeah, they still
4: talk about Henry. <laughs> wanting to, I thought I saw him. now Henry's
1: gone. That's incredible. Well, again, a very interesting insight into your style and, and also content of your book, the title of which is Poems, Short Stories, and Things Remembered. My guest author, Gloria G. Blakeney, B-L-A-K-E-N-E-Y. Gloria, where do my listeners find your book? How can they get a copy of it?
4: Amazon and Barnes and & Noble
1: are the best set. And they can also, if they do a search under your name, I'm sure something will, will also show up on the Internet. Again, Gloria G. Blakeney has been my, my guest. Thank you for sharing your story and a little of the insight into what it takes to, to write a book that may be appealing to a, a wide-ranging audience. Thanks again, Gloria.
0: Thank you.
1: My pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.
0: You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today.
0: Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books
1: around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Call In Well. And joining me from China, uh, on the other side of the world, and it's late at night when I'm talking to him, is author Timothy Orley. Welcome, sir, to the program.
6: Thank you very much.
1: This book, uh, from at least superficial uh, appearances because of the artwork, looks like it's directed towards a younger audience. Uh, describe your book and, and why it's called Call in Well.
6: Uh, yes, the intended audience is, I would say, primary school, possibly even uh, middle school. But I think people of all ages will enjoy the poems in it. Um, the, the title Call in Well in the poem... Um, with the same title, is it's supposed to be meant to um, sometimes not take life so seriously, enjoy the simple things in life. Um, Let's spend our time doing things we enjoy. And um, although work and schoolwork is, is important, it's also important to take a break and enjoy life.
1: Absolutely great advice. Uh, it's a positive book, obviously. Uh, the uh, the back of the book, or back of the, the cover, uh, the first few sentences say uh, this about the book. Let's call in well and explore a new world together. We'll take a trip to Backwardsville. Or Backwardville, have dinner at Big Betty's Pizza and learn all about the not-so-sugar heroes. Uh, that has my interest already. And uh, you also, in the front of your book, said I have dedicated this for all the nice people I've met along the way. Where did you meet all these nice <laughs> people? You've been in China for a while. Are, are, are you a, a native-born China uh, from China or are, are... no? No, no.
6: I'm no. I'm from I'm from the United States. Uh, I started traveling 16 years ago. And um, I've been abroad ever since. I've lived in. Uh, I've traveled to many countries. I've made my home mostly in China. I've also lived in Malaysia and Laos for for mm-hmm. a short for a shorter time.
1: Wow, it sounds like an adventure on its own. Why authoring? Okay. Did you always desire to be a, a children's author or an author of children's uh, content?
6: I started writing poems actually for a way for my students. I'm a primary school teacher. And I write it, I started writing simple poems for my students as a way for them to enjoy learning English. And it just sort of went from there. I started writing a little bit, um, I wouldn't say complex poems, but poems more geared towards native English speakers, American children, and, and this such. And that's where the book came from. I just... I started writing them, and I enjoyed it more and more and kept going.
1: Tim, how long did it take you to complete uh, this particular book, this, this effort? Oh, man.
6: <laughs> I probably worked off and on for two years, I, I would
1: mm-hmm. say. And and the artwork itself, is that something that you directed uh, firsthand, or did you just give this to the publisher and ask them to uh, interpret it their own way? How How difficult was that?
6: Uh, the artwork was done through Author House, and um, I, basically they asked me to describe each, uh, illustration in great detail, which I did. That took a long time. Um, and, for example, where the character's standing, what they're wearing, what their expression is, and so on and so forth. And the illustrator, who I've yet to meet, um, did an amazing job. I was just amazed every time one of the illustrations came back. It was it was exactly what I wanted, but even better. Beautiful. Um, so I was very pleased with that.
1: Uh, we haven't uh, screened or, or talked about this uh, on the front end of our interview, but uh, do you have a poem that you would like to share with our audience? Uh, is it appropriate to ask you that at this point?
6: Um, let's see. <laughs> oh, I... I'm looking through right now. Um, some of the poems are a bit longer, so I'll stay away from those, I think. <laughs> but,
1: well, we've got time. You you, you choose one that you uh, have enjoyed uh, creating more than okay. maybe the others.
6: Well, as the holiday season is upon us, I will go with Dear Santa. And should I just begin?
1: Yes, please do.
6: Oh, okay. Uh, Dear Santa... Dear Santa, here's my Christmas list of things that I would like. A private plane, a rocket train, and a flying bike. A chocolate bed to rest my head might be kind of cool. And if it isn't too much trouble, could you please shut down my school? (laughs) Santa, I don't want to ride on buses anymore. That's why I'll need a greenish-purple-pink pet dinosaur. I'll ride him and I'll feed him as we're going down the street waving to my friends and all the people we will meet. And if you could make me really, 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 really tall, then they wouldn't pick me last when it's time for basketball. Of course, I want a castle and a dragon and a boat, a roller coaster and perhaps a helicopter boat, a magic wand, a magic pond filled with magic fish that swim around and greet me as they grant my every wish. Santa, here's my Christmas list. I know it may be tough, so just keep my family safe and warm, and this will be enough.
1: Wow, well, that's that certainly is an imaginative uh, approach to the the <laughs> holiday season and Christmas sp- specifically. And Santa, you uh, you obviously enjoy uh, writing poetry in rhyme. That's uh, that's also a refreshing uh, part of my interview because uh, some of my poets uh, kind of get. Wandering off, wander off into prose, are all of your poems, are, are they rhythmic in their style? Yes, yes,
6: and they, they're all rhythmic and they all have rhyme. I think it comes from when I was a child and growing up reading uh, Dr. Seuss, reading Shel Silverstein, authors such as this, and um, I just always enjoyed that, and I still do, so um, yes, all of my poems are rhythmic with rhyme.
1: That that gives me the impression that because of your desire to share not only the content of your book and uh, maybe a, a lesson or two as a teacher, that uh, you are still continuing to write. Uh, is there another book in the future?
6: Um, I would love to. I've actually released a book over here in China um, with a Chinese publisher. That's also uh, for poems, but it's more for um, helping kids understand English—it's much simpler uh, poems. Um, I would love to do another book such as Call in Well um, for native uh, English speakers, um, and it's not quite in the works yet. But I would love to get started on it.
1: It sound, yeah, it sounds like that's something that you uh, not only enjoy but will be pursuing in the future. The title of the book, Call in Well. I, call in Well. What is that mm-hmm. significant? What's the significance of that?
6: Um, it's, it's a play on words. It's from the, the more common used phrase, call in sick, um, which we do when we can't go to work or go to school. And it's supposed to say, you call in well, which the idea is once a year, once every so often, somebody should just call in well and say, mm-hmm. I can't come to work today. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling too well. I want to go enjoy my day. I want to go enjoy things that I love.
1: Well, that brings a smile to my face. I, I hope it does to uh, to the listeners as well. Is there anything that was a challenge that you didn't realize uh, would be an obstacle to overcome uh, when you began the publishing and uh, it, it, authoring business or authoring uh, pursuit?
6: Um, it was all an experience. This was all new to me. Um, I think a big part was I... Uh, I wanted it to be the best I could make it. And so I kept rewriting the poems and rewriting the poems. And often as so is often the case, the first time I wrote it was actually the best one. <laughs> and I'd have to go back and, and do this. I, I think it was just trying to get what I thought was the perfect poem out. And, <laughs> and of course, when you're reading it and it's your poem, it sounds different than it does to other people, I believe. So, um but, no, it was all an experience to me, and I, I don't think there was anything that was any more difficult than anything else. Um, I just really
1: enjoyed it. You've done a wonderful, masterful job. The illustrations are are very colorful, and uh, it looks like most of the characters in the illustrations have a smile on their face. Uh, that was by, <laughs> by purpose, I'm guessing.
6: Yeah, I wanted to write a, a positive book, obviously, it's for children. And uh, you briefly mentioned there's some positive messages throughout the book, and I hope people will pick up on that. Um, messages for children, but for anybody.
1: Well, seventy-eight as seventy-eight pages approximately or over seventy pages. Uh, the preschooler, the, the the young reader, will enjoy this being read to them by a family member or so, and uh, the older reader will also enjoy the rhythmic uh concepts and and ideas and imaginative approach that's in the rest of the uh the the work. Uh this is well done. I uh, congratulations on completing this. Uh this is something that I think may lead to something uh, bigger in your future, hopefully so. The title of the book again is Call <laughs> in Well. My guest has been author Timothy Orley O R L E Y who has joined me from China where he is uh educating um, foreign speakers in the English language, if I may use that phrase, uh, what uh, is the best way to get a hold of this book, Tim?
6: Um, right now, it can be it's available through many websites, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, or directly through AuthorHouse link. Um, and- it's also available uh, by ebook on several different. Uh, through the same
1: channel. And I'm uh, uh, also assuming, which is not uh, the right thing to do, but uh, a website either is in development or do you have one already completed?
6: My website is completed. It is uh, Timothy underscore Orley, or Uh, www.Timothy underscore
1: com. And Orley again is spelled O R L E Y. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing your story. This is uh, this is a fun read and one I'd recommend to anybody that has a younger a younger audience they'd like to impress. Uh, Again, the the content is positive. It has uh, wonderful illustrations. It's a a book that can be picked up and and uh, you know you can uh, cherry pick the the poetry or the poems to read to a younger audience and uh, or younger. A child, and they will enjoy the journey. Thank you again for for being with us today. Thank you very much, Jay. My pleasure for author talk at Author House. This is Jay Douglas Barker.